Well, when I was growing up, um, I, I used to be afraid of quite a few different things, and I'll give you kind of a little bit of a, a, a list of those. I was afraid of the dark, and, and even to this day, if I find myself in a really dark situation, I will start running, moving faster than, than I normally would. I was afraid of monsters. Uh, some of you can relate to that. Now, this is weird, though. I was afraid of eyes. Now, you remember the movies, or you've seen a movie where, like a scary movie, where they all of a sudden they zone in on the eyes of the, the crazy person? That used to freak me out. To this day, I still probably would turn away if I saw that. But one of my biggest fears, and it's still my biggest fear to this day, is sharks. Now, it doesn't keep me from going in the water. Matter of fact, when Shark Week comes on on the Discovery Channel, I watch it because I'm so fascinated by them. But I'm, but I'm literally, when I'm in the water, uh, in the ocean, I'm, I'm looking and I'm concerned that they are around because they probably are. Um, and a few years ago, uh, and I don't know, I don't, still am trying to process through the, the motive behind this gift, but my wife gave me a walk with sharks. And uh, there I am. Now, just so you understand what's going on here, uh, I'm in a pool with about 20 sharks. I'm, I'm about 6'2". That shark's about nine feet long with big jagged teeth, and I could not sleep before the night before this happened. And I'm sitting there thinking, is my wife sending me a message? You know, does she want me gone? I, I didn't, but it was, it was actually a, to help me conquer some fears. Didn't work. But all, all human beings, and by the way, in that tub with me were about three or four Bahamian guys with sticks, like that was going to really help. Um, but all human beings, every single one of us, we're, we're born with two innate fears. Uh, we're, we're born with the fear of falling, and we're born with the fear of loud noises. But along the way, somehow, we add a lot more fears to our lives. We, we add the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, the fear of rejection, the fear of commitment. Matter of fact, there are actually over 530 known phobias or fears and they all have crazy names. And I actually looked through all of them this past week. And the, and the craziest name, and it was kind of intriguing, was the fear of the number 666. Look, look at that. That's, I don't even know how you pronounce that or who even would come up with that. And, I, and, I, and the reason I'm showing you this is because there's a funny story connected behind it. I was showing this to my wife last night, kind of talking through this message, and she said, you're not going to believe this. She went into our local grocery store the other day to buy some chicken. And she was going to buy this one particular frozen chicken. And this was the price of the chicken. It's a demon bird right there. All right. And my wife did not buy that chicken because of that number. So she has a fear of whatever the, the number six is just funny. So some of you may own that chicken and now you're demon possessed. But, I'm just kidding, of course. Fear, here it is. Fear falls into two categories. It's either beneficial or it's harmful. There's no other two ways about it. Fear can serve as an alarm system to us. It can serve as a warning system inside of us that we're going to face danger. But it can also paralyze us. And it can cause us to freeze when we should either fight for ourselves or maybe run away from a dangerous situation. If we fear the right things, we can stay out of a lot of trouble. But if we fear the wrong things, then we can miss out on a lot of great opportunities. Fear can either be our friend or it can be our enemy. Now, this is the truth. 
Every one of you in this room, including me, we all deal with some level of unhealthy fear that does not come from God. And it's possible that unhealthy fear is impacting your life right now in an unharmful, or I'm sorry, in a harmful way. It may be hurting your relationships, it may be hurting your career, it may be hurting your walk with God, it may be hindering you and your ability to to live out God's purposes for your life, but somewhere along the way, somehow, you learned that fear from someone or something. It was either caught or taught. And the Bible actually addresses this kind of fear. It calls this kind of fear a spirit of fear. And there's a verse that gives us a little bit of clarity on it. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And that'd be a great verse for you to memorize this week, by the way. Um, it, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And some of your versions may say self-control. That means that every fear that you're dealing with that causes you a harmful effect on your life, like a lack of confidence or a fear of failure or a fear that hurts your relationships with people or with God, that fear does not come from God. And so the Bible says that when it comes to living courageously for God and carrying out His purposes in your life, the Spirit of God actually equips us with power, love, and self-discipline, self-control. So then what do I do with all these fears that I'm struggling with? What do I do with all of these things that have me paralyzed or things that I can't seem to overcome? Here's what you have to do. You have to unlearn them. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, over the next few weeks, we want to help you to unlearn the unhealthy fears that are in your life, and we want you to replace them with something else. Because a lot of the fears that you have have come because of a lie that you have believed or that someone has taught you, or you've caught it from someone or something. So when you have a lie or you have a fear, whatever that is, you have to replace it with something, and you have to replace it with truth, which is the truth of God's Word and the gospel. Now, does that mean for some of you that you're going to totally overcome your fear of spiders and snakes? Probably not, maybe, but... What it does, what, what hopefully you'll overcome some fears that are hurting your relationships. Now, if your spider and snake phobia is hurting that, hopefully we can conquer that as well. But maybe it's a fear, a, a fear that you're dealing with that's actually causing you to live in sin or a fear that's holding you back in your life. Now, I want to start off this series by introducing you to the one fear, the one fear that you absolutely must have in your life if you're going to unlearn and overcome all of the unhealthy fears that you might be dealing with. Actually, if we can get this one fear right, it has the power to actually free you from all of your other fears. And this, this is the number one fear that God actually wants you to have. This fear is mentioned all throughout the pages of the Bible. Matter of fact, it is, this fear is actually foundational to your ability to live out the Christian life the way that God would have you to do. If you want to live a life full of wisdom, you want to live a life having victory over sin, you want to live a life filled with peace, you want to live a life filled with confidence and actually overcome some of the unhealthy fears that that are harming your life, this is the one fear that you must have in your life. It's the one fear that if it's healthy, can help you to unlearn all of your other unhealthy fears. You say, what is it? What's the fear? It is 
the fear of God. Now, back in the Old Testament, here's how God laid out an understanding of this fear to the Jewish people. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses gathers all of the people of Israel together. And he reminds them of the covenant. They made a covenant with him at Mount Sinai. And he recites the foundation of the law to them, which was basically kind of, and the centerpiece of that was the Ten Commandments. And then he reminds them of their response, the covenant, the, the covenant response that they made to him. He says, listen, in your response to your awe and reverence to the power of God, here's the commitment that you made to him. You said to God that whatever the Lord God tells us to do, we will listen and we will obey. And Moses then tells the people, God heard everything that you were saying. And here's his response back to you. Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, this is God talking. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. To fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. In other words, God knew that they were going to struggle with keeping the commandments and and the commitments that, that they made to him. He knew that they were going to create idols, and he knew that there were going to be moments where they were going to fall away from him into sin. But he says this, if you will fear me and if you will obey me, things will not only go well for you, but they'll go well for all of your children and their descendants. So from the very beginning, God wants his people back then and now to fear him. Now, I know for some of you, especially if you've never heard that before, it sounds a little bit crazy to you. It sounds a little bit messed up. I mean, you might create some some confusion about God. I mean, is God on some kind of power trip? Is he trying to scare us? Is he some kind of control freak? What in the world's going on here with God? Well, in order to understand what it means to fear God, there are a few key things that we need to unlearn about God, and there are some things that we need to learn about God. Now, let me tell you a couple things about God's character. God is love. He is merciful. He is kind. He is gracious. He is all-knowing. He can be everywhere at one time. He can be wherever he wants to be at one time. He's very forgiving. He's all-powerful. There are actually no words that I can come up to truly describe his glory, but he's also just. And that means that there is a side of him that cannot accept sin. His character, it, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even go with his character. He just doesn't even know what to do with that outside of actually causing him to react in anger. And it's, that part of him is called God's wrath. Now here's where this whole topic of fearing God created problems for me when I was growing up. And I, I grew up in a very... Um, legalistic, kind of a religious world, and it wasn't just all the churches that we went to, but it was other things that I was exposed to and heard and this and this. And so I've had to spend a lot of my life unlearning a lot of unhealthy things and ideas about what it really means to fear God. And quite honestly, I'm still learning. I grew up hearing a whole lot more about God's anger towards sin and how much He punished sin than I did about his forgiveness and his love and his grace and his mercy and his glory and his love for me and how much Jesus accomplished for me uh, accomplished for me on the cross to free me from his wrath and some of you grew up in the same way I did 
And so when I talk about this, this goes deep for you. And so because of the way that, because I grew up this way, here are some things that I heard or somehow picked up as I was growing up. I, I heard that God was out to get me. I actually had an aunt that used to babysit me, and she would say to me, God's going to get you. All right? She had a nickname for me, which will describe how I was as a child. She'd call me Devil on Wheels. All right? I don't know where that came from. I had a tricycle, and I guess that's where it connected. I don't know. But, um, but she would tell me, God's going to get you. God is going to punish you. He's going to get you. Now, that impacted me as a four-year-old child. Seriously, messed me up. So I also, I also believe that God was always mad at me. Now, when the, one of the churches that we went to for a long time at the very top of the steps, I'll never forget this, I would walk in and we would walk up to the top of the steps. And at the very top of the steps, here's the picture that was on the wall. All right? Swedish Jesus. All right? Kind of blondish blue eyes. Jesus was Jewish, all right? I don't know if you know. Nobody who's Jewish has blonde hair and blue eyes. But this is probably the most famous portrait ever. Did anybody have this picture in your house or in your grandma's? Okay, I did too. So, but I would walk into church and I would look at him and I would go, you know, I hear about your love, but I don't understand why you're always mad at me. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, I don't, I don't understand why, why can't I please you? What, what, what is, I seriously would just look at him and go, you look happy, you look kind of peaceful, you're a little bit serious, but you're always mad at me. I don't even know why. Then I also, and this is another thing, I, I, no matter what I did, I, I just could never please God. And so I just grew up with this idea that he was always disappointed with me. Always disappointed with me. And then once I got into high school, I had this belief or just this understanding that if, that if I just kept enough of the right rules and read my Bible every day and prayed every day, then God would, would be temporarily happy with me. Like I would actually, things would go well for me in every area until the next day when it would start all over again. It was like, you know, as soon as 12, you know, midnight started, it was like, God, okay, now i got to do all the things, write rules again and read my Bible, and if I don't, God's going to punish me throughout the day and bad things are going to happen. See, when you grew up with fear like that, let me tell you what happens. You, 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 your mind, your thoughts are all about you. you. You give in to the power of fear instead of allowing yourself to be controlled by the power of God. And some of you grew up just like I did. And so when you think of the words fear God, you automatically you think of punishment, wrath. You think of the angry, disappointed side of God or this God who just is impossible to please. And for some of you, if you grew up like that, you, you, you did everything you could to, to walk right with God because you were so afraid. Or you finally gave up on it and you just went, you walked right away from him. Because you just like, I can't please him. I can't, I, I, no matter what I do, he's always mad at me, so I'm, I'm done trying. I'm, I'm out of here. For some of you, you, you didn't grow up with any fear of God at all. It was, you don't even, it wasn't even in your, you know, w- world. And so it was kind of a free-for-all for you. Now, whatever background you came from, here's, here's the bottom line. We have to unlearn some of the ideas that have created an unhealthy fear of God. And we have to try to learn the truth about what God is really saying when he says to us, fear me, fear me. And in order to do that, we're going to need to define it. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Well, the fear of God, and this is my definition, is this. To fear God is to have such an awesome respect or reverence for his greatness and power 
that we just don't want to disobey him. Matter of fact, instead, we want to worship him, we want to serve him, we want to trust him, we want to obey him, we want to commit our lives to him. Author John Piper, he puts his, takes this even further, and I love this. He says, God, in your mind and heart, is so powerful and so holy and so awesome that you would not dare run away from him, but you would choose to run to him. Isn't that good? See, fear of God is not about being afraid and terrified of him, but instead it's about being in awe of him. In the book of Job, we get this lesson on why God uh, is to be feared from this guy named Elihu. Job was having this pity party with God. Job was going through some pretty rough things in his life. And so he was just starting to question God in so many different ways. And Elihu decides to bring a little truth into, into Job's life. And in Job 37, verse 14, here's what he says to Job. Job, basically enough of your whining, complaining. Pay attention to this, Job. Stop and consider the wonderful miracles of God. Do you know how God controls the storm and causes the lightning to flash from his clouds? Do you understand how he moves the clouds with with wonderful perfection and skill? When you are sweltered in your clothes and, 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 and the south wind dies down and everything is still, he makes the skies reflect the heat like a bronze mirror. Can you do that, Job? So also golden splendor comes from the mountain of God. He is clothed in dazzling splendor. He cannot imagine, we cannot imagine the power of the Almighty, but even though he is just and righteous, he does not destroy us. No wonder people everywhere fear him. All who are wise show him reverence. Elihu paints this picture for Job of a God that is so powerful and so awesome and so mighty, who has this ability so far beyond our own that we can't even help but to stand in awe and reverence of him. It's a picture that that should actually cause us to want to run to him, towards him, instead of running away from him. When we fear him, out of awe and respect and reverence and honor because he's so powerful. To quote Elihu, it's, he is just and righteous, and yet he chooses not to destroy us. See, many of you in this room, many of you in this room, you're, you're running away from God instead of, instead of to him because you have an unhealthy fear of him. So many of you have seen or you, or you have... You have um, Watch the movie, The the Chronicle of Narnia, from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis portrays Jesus Christ as a lion. The lion in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's fierce, he's powerful, and yet at the same time he's tender. He's beautiful to look at. His anger towards sin is terrifying, but his love and kindness is is overwhelming. And here's what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, as the lion passed by, they were terribly afraid that he would turn and look at them, yet in some queer way they wished he would. Naturally, one would be nervous meeting a lion. The question was asked to to one who knew this well, is he safe? And I find this answer both wise and startling. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of, Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is a king. He's a king, I tell you. Listen, if a king or a president, and I don't care about your politics, all right, 
for the most part, most of you, if a king or president were to walk into this room right now, most, you, you would have probably a healthy respect for that person. And if you didn't respect the person, hopefully you would respect or revere the office. Um, when I was, uh, before I came here, I was a student pastor for nine years, and I, for whatever reason, got a chance to meet some cool people, and I got a chance to meet Ronald Reagan, I got a chance to meet Dan Coyle, and one of the pictures that I want to throw up on the screen, I'll show it up right now, is I got to meet George Bush, the, the first one. And um, I remember, and by the way, that's me with all the hair on the left there, <laughs> the long, curl, the kind of flowing hair, Greg Brady type hair. I miss that guy. All right. But I remember, I remember meeting him. I was crazy nervous. I had this healthy fear inside of me. When, when, when I got invited to, to be part of that event, uh, this, that event, I said yes immediately because I couldn't wait to meet him. Now here's the problem that so many Christians have when it comes to fearing God. We've just lost a sense of awe and reverence and respect for him. I mean, in some ways, he's almost become to us kind of like one of the guys. He's our homie. He's our homeboy. He's, he's one of the dudes. He's one of the buds, one of the crew. We've actually, be, you know, we've, we've, we've actually become quite cavalier in the way we relate to him. You know, me and God, we're good. But that's where we're missing the boat. Listen, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses is having this moment with God by himself. And he makes one of the boldest asks in the Bible that you could ever imagine. He looks at God and he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says this. He says, okay, I will show you my goodness. I will show you my mercy. I will show you my compassion. But no one can actually look at my face and live. And so he takes Moses and he hides him in a crack in a large rock. And he actually allows Moses to catch a glimpse of his back. He says, when I, I'm going to go by you, and when it happens, you can look at me. Or you t- you take a peek. And later, when the people of Israel see Moses, they report that his face was so radiant that they were afraid to go near him. Listen, if God were to physically reveal himself to every one of us in this room right now, we would all fall on our faces because we couldn't handle his glory. I don't care if you are a believer or an unbeliever, and if you don't believe in him at all, if he were to show up here physically, we'd all be on our faces because we couldn't handle it. He's so awesome, he's so powerful, he's so glorious that out of our reverence and awe and wonder of him, it should strike fear inside of us. But not an unhealthy fear, but a fear that should overwhelm every other fear in our lives. Should just take every other fear and just go, get them out because I belong to the most awesome, wonderful. One of my problems with writing this message is that I couldn't come up with the right words to describe what I'm trying to tell you about right now. I'm serious. I love this quote. Listen to this quote. The only thing that has the power to defeat fear is fear. Only when the grander fear of God rules your heart will you be free of the little fears in life that chip away at your heart. When you live live in a reverential awe of the magnitude of God's power and authority and you are stunned by the fact that he exercises 
his power for his glory and your good, then you can be free from all the anxieties that make you timid and rob you of joy. What a great word. So listen to me. We don't fear him because he's going to strike us dead. We fear him because of out of love and compassion for us. He chooses not to. We don't fear him because he's always angry with us. We fear him because of his grace and mercy. He holds back his anger. He's so majestic that our fear of him should cause us to run to him instead of running from him. Psalm 38, Psalm 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all of the people of the world revere him. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the promises and blessings of, of fearing God and some of the warnings. I just want to just give you four real quick. What does the Bible, what, what does God's word say to those who fear him? First of all, fearing God will lead us to salvation. Now, many people, and, and so many of you, and, and I will tell you, this is my decision. When I was younger and I, I came to Christ, we asked Jesus Christ to be our personal Savior because we are, we're scared to death that we're going to go to hell. Now, that's not a bad thing, by the way, because without Christ, that's exactly where we're going to end up. Now, let me say this. There, with that, there's a growing belief in our world today called universalism. Universalism is a very dangerous doctrine. Simply put, it's the doctrine that says that everyone, regardless of who you are, what you've done, you will be restored to a right relationship with God in heaven. In, in other words, everyone's going. Everyone gets to go to heaven. The problem with this doctrine is that if everyone eventually winds up in heaven, then there would be no need for Jesus. Everything we celebrated last weekend, we don't need any of that. We don't, we don't, God never needed to send Jesus. There, there didn't need to be a cross or a resurrection. Listen, because our sin separated us from God, he knew we would need Jesus. We would need a Savior. But no amount of works or good deeds or law-keeping or self-sacrificing could pay the price for our sin. That's why Jesus had to come. Because we needed a perfect sacrifice, a spotless lamb, to go to the cross as a payment for our sin. And when that happened, every bit of wrath and every bit of judgment that God had towards sin, it was poured out on Jesus when he went to the cross. And his death, thank God, satisfied God's requirement to pay for the offense of sin. And when Jesus rose again, he defeated the power that sin and death had over our lives. And now, out of grace and mercy and love, God offers us the free gift of salvation and a home in heaven when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be our rescuer and our deliverer and our savior. Because of God's amazing grace, listen, if you are truly a child of God, the Bible says you do not have to fear hell. Or you don't, you don't have to fear being separated from God. As his children, we don't cower in the fear of not being saved. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. That means that I am no longer an enemy of God. The Bible says I'm his friend. He is not angry towards me and always disappointed 
Because of Jesus, things have been made right between me and him, and now I am his child. I I don't have to keep performing because Jesus performed for me on the cross. You see, growing up, I was scared to death that somehow my salvation decision just didn't stick. I'll just confess something to you. I think almost every single time somebody did the sinner's prayer at the end of a service, I would pray it. Can anybody relate to that? I, I mean, some of you are still going, I still do that, by the way. You know why I did that? It's because I didn't understand his power, his power to keep me saved. I didn't understand his love. His love is not fickle towards us, where he kind of loves us one day and hates us the next day based upon our performance. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that his love towards us is actually perfect. And he's perfect. And perfect love casts out what? Say it with me. Cast out all fear. Second thing that we get and we understand is that fearing God will lead us to make wise choices. God promises wisdom to those who fear him. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Imagine the almighty God of the universe who knows all things offering to lead us all the time, to be wise and to make wise choices. I mean, think about the prospects of being connected to the actual source of all knowledge. And yet, that's the promise. Instead of living in the natural consequences of making foolish decisions, listen, when you run to God because he is all-powerful and he is almighty, he promises wisdom, wisdom to make wise choices, wisdom to avoid danger and disaster, wisdom to know God's will. I mean, those are the benefits of fearing God. The third thing. Fearing God will bring confidence and security to your life. Author and teacher John Piper, he describes the fear of God as if we were caught in a terrible storm while exploring an Arctic glacier. He says the storm is so strong that you you actually fear that you're going to be blown right off the side of the glacier. But then you discover that there's a gap in the ice where you can hide and find shelter. Even though, even though you're, safe, you're safe, you watch the storm go by with a sense of, of awe. And, and he says this, I quote, As first, at first he says, there, there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life. But then you found a refuge and gained hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart. Only the life-threatening part. There there remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a place to watch it in the middle of it. Oh, the thrill of being in the center of the awful power of God yet protected by God himself. Proverbs 14, 26 says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. You see, when I fear God, he becomes my confidence and my security. I can find my confidence in his power and strength and his ability to protect me and to get me through tough times. The Bible says that God knows the future. He knows your future. And some of you, so many of you today, and so many Christians outside the walls are so afraid of the future. Why? Because it's uncertain. There's a lot of unknowns. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. And typically, we don't like uncertainty unknowns because it makes us feel like we're out of control. 
But you don't have to be afraid of, of, of the future if your confidence is in Christ because our faith is in the fact that he controls the future. You don't have to fear the future when you know who controls the future and your confidence is in him alone. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you, God says. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love the image of being held in the hand of God. I can have confidence regardless of what the future holds when I know that I'm being held in his righteous right hand. And then the fourth thing is this. Fearing God will help you to overcome all of your other fears. There is this moment in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus and his disciples have been, Jesus has been teaching all day long. The disciples are with him. And at the end of the day, Jesus says, let's get into the boat. Let's push off and let's go to the other side, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while they get into the water, Jesus decides to take a a nap. And he lays down and he falls asleep in the stern of the boat. And while that happens, a storm, a windstorm kicks up. And the Bible says that the boat starts taking on water. And the disciples are scared to death. I mean, they are frightened. The God of the storms is in the boat with them, but they're scared to death of the storm. Now, in, in, in Mark 4.39, the Bible says this, and he, they're shaking him, they're trying to get him up, and it says, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, and three of my favorite words in the Bible, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, the disciples, they feared for their lives. They thought they were going down in the midst of the storm. But after seeing Jesus actually calm the storm with just three words, the Bible says they stood in awe. It says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We are living, and as you know, we are living in some crazy, crazy stormy times right now in our nation and in our world. And it's so amazing. I, 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 I've, I've actually turned off all of the news, by the way. I know what's going on, but it's like it's so much fear-mongering going on. And what's so amazing is that so many people that claim to be Christ followers are reacting in fear. Why? Because we've lost our sense of awe and fear and wonder of the God who not only creates the storms, but can calm the storms with just a word. Paul Tripp says, only awe of God can ever rob horizontal awe of its power. Only awe of God can ever rob horizontal awe of its power. And some of you are paralyzed in fear in your life right now, whether it's the fear of the unknown or the fear that someone's going to hurt you, fear that someone's going to leave you or you're going to be rejected or fear of failure or fear of the future. But I want to tell you that fear is only ever defeated by fear. Fearing God will help you to overcome every other fear that you have in your life. It is the one fear, the only fear that removes all other fears. So how can we live our lives with a healthy fear of God? First of all, we need to have an undivided heart towards him. Undivided heart. Psalm chapter 86, verse 11 says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. David, the King David prays, he says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Why? Because you cannot be captured by the wonder and the glory and the awe of God and be captured 
by the wonder and the glory and the awe of something else. It's called a divided heart. And I know if my heart is divided, then I will always live with an unhealthy fear that what has captured my heart can be taken away from me. The second thing is this. We need to to have a, a healthy sense of humility and reverence and respect for God, for Him. See, when I live in fear of God, then I am confronted with my own smallness and my own insecurities and my weaknesses and my fears and my own inadequacies. And when you get to that place, when I get to that place, it's very humbling. But that's where we want to be. It's a great place to be because when I am at that point, it makes me want to run to him instead of run from him. Because when I run to him in humility and I approach him with reverence and respect, here's what he promises. He promises me his wisdom, his power, his security, his strength, and his grace. And some of you in this room, you are paralyzed by fear today. Some of you are driven by fear. Some of you have actually become slaves to fear. It's a spirit of fear that is not from God. The Bible says you are a child of God and you need to rest in that today. Trade your unhealthy fears which are causing you anxiety and stress and worry and say, God, would you give me a healthy fear of you which brings peace and calm and rest and joy. I love Galatians 4, 7. It says, listen, you are no longer slaves. You're a child of God. I'm no longer, you're no longer a slave. You're a child of God. You're no longer slaves to fear. Why? Because God controls everything. He controls all of those things that I'm fearful of. I don't have to be a slave to that when I'm his child. 